out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of Mood 6, because I recently spoke to Phil Ward very, very, very recently um, to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy stuff. Anyway, this is it, Mood 6, the neo-psychedelic combo formed in London. Anyway, look, after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years of the young Phil. Phil, tell us more, tell us now. We were quite lucky as kids because we were, I guess in a way we were, slightly too young for the Beatles but my parents were quite good at um used to, they used to buy us the albums and things so uh we got into music earlier than some of my contemporaries you know yes were your, yeah, were, so, were your parents quite hip and happening then they I guess they were actually they were a wee bit yeah they weren't I wouldn't call them by any means bohemian <laughs> but <laughs> yeah but culturally, culturally, sort of aware, you know, they used to they used to be into into jazz and uh, and comedy shows. They were friends with um, they were friends with the scriptwriters Gordon and Simpson. Um, you know Hancock and yes, and, my God, uh, that was quite hip and Hector happening. and Son, yeah. So they were quite yeah. They were into all that. Because uh, my my parents, you know, we grew up in the countryside in East Anglia. I mean, we weren't hip and happening at all. It was all very, we oh were, yeah, you know, yeah yeah. It wasn't a lot happening in in those kind of worlds, you know. So uh, yeah yeah. So yeah, so so the writers of Hancock is pretty impressive, really. Yeah, they also knew um, Johnny Spate that wrote um, "Together to Part." Bloody, um, which was the Afghani. You remember the Afghani? Oh my God! Yes, that's so... probably not. You wouldn't see him on TV now. So. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I did sort of play some of those kind of clips kind of a few months ago. And, um, yeah, it was quite weird, wasn't it? You know, that was uh, oh, yeah. Steptoe and Son and, and Alf Garnet. That character was just relentless, wasn't he? he God, was, yeah. Yeah. God. Yeah. You know, and I was curious because he was quite an educated chap, wasn't he? He'd gone to Oxford and but then he played this character, which was just, you know. That's right. Um Warren Mitchell, yeah, he was quite well spoken, yeah. Really? Yeah, clever guy, yeah. But yeah, that yeah, was quite a relentless kind of comedy act that he didn't stop, <laughs> you know. Yeah. God. Yeah. Your parents knew the writer. That's quite impressive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they did. They did. Yeah. So um so yeah, they were quite I don't know, I guess we're a little bit ahead of the curve with some of the music because we were really, really quite young, you know. So really into all the fairly typical 60s bands, really, the Beatles and the Stones. More faces and uh, the kink. They really, really like the kinks a lot. The kinks. Yeah. But then, like you, I was into really, really got into T um, Rex and Mark Bowling in a big way. Loved him, you know. And uh, I guess my fantasy wasn't really to be him. It was to be maybe, maybe his bass player or something. And he would gaze over at me on stage. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then, um, and Bowie as well, same as you. Yes, that was yeah. interesting. And then, uh, also. Loved Roxy music as well. Yeah. Well, early Roxy music. The Brian Eno period. Before they got your yeah, Brian Eno, yeah, before they got all smooth. So were you going towards an arts background at this stage? Um not really. Not really. I mean, always, always into music. I think I always knew I wanted to be in a band. Um but yeah, not not. Not particularly, no, no. So when, as well, I used to act a little bit at school, so there was that side to things. Got you, yes. So when did you start sort of developing your sort of a bit more of a musical kind of moment? You know, when did things start to change? Actually, very, very early, very early. Um, as quite a young kid, I used to sing along to records all the time, but not just sing along, also also posing in front of the mirror you know i was i was uh throwing some shapes yes well back, absolutely i mean we, we all probably did in a slightly embarrassing yeah you know yeah so yeah you wouldn't then later on later on as a family i always found that i've got two brothers my mum and dad and two brothers will be in the front room 
watching TV and I'd be in the other room singing along to records in a quite a, quite a self-conscious way. I didn't really want to be heard. I think it probably helped me in a way because I was trying to sing the song so accurately that you perhaps couldn't hear, you couldn't hear that I was singing along. Yes. Kind of like one voice almost, you know, so. Well, singing's quite, um, it's quite a thing because I remember being at primary school and the, the, uh, the headmaster master who was obsessed with his kind of singing. I mean, he was really, you know, it's like, you can't swing, sing, go to the back. You know, so it was like at a very early age, you're already sort of humiliated. You're in or you're out. You know, you yeah. were just gone, you know, it's like, okay. Yeah, yeah. And it was kind of quite brutal, really. I mean, he was quite a um, quite a character, really, on that front. He was obsessed with hymn practice, actually. So um, that kind of frightened me. So learning to sing and, and find your voice is quite an impressive thing. Yeah, I mean, even in, in primary school, actually, I did, I did have a, get a little solo spot. So I must have known fairly early on that I could, I could sing. Yes. Yeah. So um, as the 70s progressed, obviously, there was that kind of period of glam, but there was also heavy metal developing. And there was also prog rock, which my, I had an older brother, and he was very into prog rock. He was that perfect age, you know, where suddenly, yeah. you're, you know, that coincides with what's happening. And it was... Yes, and Genesis and Wishbone Ash, Bach, James Harvest, and even the solo work of Rick Wakeman. And I was obsessed, you know, I, I thought he was fantastic. So I, I used to listen to all these records. Well, he banned me from his room, so I'd have to creep in when he wasn't there and listen to them and put them back carefully. But, yeah, you know, I really yeah. liked them. And bizarrely, you mentioned the Beatles, because we didn't have a record player in the house until the early 70s. But I do remember he bought... Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road, and also Sergeant Pepper. You know, this was probably quite early, 73, 74. And looking back, you think, God, actually, the Beatles had only just split up, but it seemed like a completely different period, didn't it? You know, it's like, yeah, it's yeah. quickly, you know, mm. they, they would become, yeah. you know, back there, really. That, they were over. Yeah, yeah. Well, so much happened so quickly. And in, in, at that time, I think the 70s, you had so many different types of music that came and went, whereas these days, no distinction between from one year to the next, in my eyes, anyway. Yeah, well, it was interesting because then in New York, you had the Stooges and then you had the New York Dolls developing. And then that sort of world with Johnny Thunders and CBGBs and sort of that early kind of punky stuff. And then in the UK, punk as well started to happen and pub rock. So where were you kind of during the mid 70s then? Where was things kind of started <clears throat> to develop for, for your sort of musical moments? Um, well, you know, I think once um, once <laughs> once punk came along, you weren't really allowed to say that you ever liked prog rock. But now, who cares? So, you know, we I definitely had a period of being into if you if you were into music at that time at that age, you were into prog rock. And uh, same as you, I had a brother slightly older than me, and uh, yeah, so I definitely got into all that stuff. Um, never. Never heavy metal, really. That didn't really appeal to me too much. But um, yeah, the prog stuff was good. And then I suppose uh, got into punk, you know, to a certain extent. Um, yeah, so just kind of whatever was current. Yes. <clears throat> and as, as we progressed through the 70s, the glorious decade, I have to say, <laughs> initially, it didn't have a great press, did it? Because the 60s it looked so fantastic. But then later on, you're thinking, actually, that was quite good. I think it was just that there was a lot of pit political strife. And there was obviously lots of bombings as well going on. And, you know, the government was constantly changing. But then 79, Thatcher get, gets in and it all kind of slightly changes, mm -hmm. even though unemployment starts to rise rapidly. You know, during that period then, so what was, where were you sort of, because this is obviously close to when you, you're, you know, the band begins to uh, come together. Yeah, um, we'd say 79 Thatcher and all the rest of it, I guess it all sounds doom and gloom, but for me, 79 was, was a great year because 79 was when I first started to, uh, first, first started to sing in a band. Um, yeah, 79, I first got up and sang live in towards the end of 78 and then formed a band in 79 and we started doing gigs that year so that was that was a that was a great that was a great time and who was and who was your band at that stage was this anything to do with the one you know mood six that comes along in a bit um it wasn't um there were some connections i'm just gonna have a sip of water we were Predominantly, 
we were a covers band, really. We did start to write our own material towards the end. Yes. We were we were a covers band, and we were we were covering sixties sixties material, which seemed like it was a long time ago, but really it wasn't. No, absolutely. Though we got we got kind of um, we got kind of lumped in with the uh, mod revival a little bit. There was we, one. We, yeah, there was one band that I mean, you mentioned the Kinks. There's also another band called the Action. Did you ever come across the Action as well? Yeah, yeah. They didn't kind of uh, didn't really quite make it, did they? I, 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 their, their songs should immediately spring to mind, but I, I can't think. But uh, yeah, I do know of the action, yeah. Yeah, yeah. because there's another band that I did, you know, I did the VIPs, but also another one called Direct Hits, who were uh, from London town. Direct Hits, yeah. Yeah. They, um, they were, Gino, they're, they're good, good friends of mine, actually, even right. to this day. So yeah, okay. yeah, and I, I, I speak to Colin. All the time, yeah. Yeah, so and that's so, when, and that's when I met him. I met him around about eighty-one. Okay, and we've been we've been good friends ever since. Right. Yeah, they, yeah. That was Colin. I spoke to. So yeah. So obviously there was something in the water at that point because they were quite a similar band, weren't they? They were. They were. They had some great songs. They really had some great songs. Yeah. Yes. Um, good lyrically. Um, you know, same as us. It just didn't um, didn't quite happen for them, but. Yeah, they 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 were good. They they predominantly London gigs. They they did one or two tours of Germany and stuff, and got up to all sorts. So yeah, yeah. yes. Well, they've got a, a reissue on Optic Nerve Records coming out as well. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, Colin's always got something about to be released. Yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> he's always plugging away. It's it's quite impressive because because you know from the wonderful world that you know the depths of East Anglia. I mean we. The main one of the main bands that you could never say anything about or anything negative was Status Quo. You know, it was a bit of a heavy metal pub environment I grew up in. But but at the same time, you know, obviously we were aware of um, Top of the Pops and stuff like that. So things yeah. like Two Tone that came along seemed very excited, exciting. But you couldn't admit it because you would literally get beaten up for being a mod. <laughs> um, so so Status Quo was the one band. I mean, the Quo fans were quite extraordinary in that period. Um, so, yeah, so, but we didn't, I mean, we had two tone. I wouldn't say mod, because I, I think, you know, it frankly would have never got to East Anglia. So, yeah, so it's interesting that was happening. Why do you think there was such a mod revival at that point? Um, I don't know how it's, I don't know how it started really, but I mean, it's only really a decade after it all happened, isn't it? So maybe it was, um, Possibly stemmed from you remember the film Quadrophenia? Oh God! That God. came out around about seventy-eight. That might have had something to do with it. Yeah, you're, you're grimacing. <laughs> no, no, I just remember <laughs> thinking, of course, Quadrophenia. All makes yeah. That actually, that that probably probably was the spur. Actually, yeah. Yeah, that um, was, you know, it's a great film, and I just yeah yeah. Because yeah. funny enough, day... our, our our drummer in that first band, he was quite a lot older than us. He was about eight years older than us, and he had been. Original mod, and he was uh, he was he was quite strict with us, you know. We we had to, we had to uh, we had to wear the right clothes. Yeah, but it's interesting how tribal it was because because there's quite a few people I've done interviewed who have been you know into that rockabilly world as well. A lot yeah. of people from Essex, and my yeah, God, the, yeah. the precision that you had to have to be part of that gang, kind of twenty four seven, was you know frankly quite it sounded like hard work. But a lot of them formed a band called the Rock Hats, who got kind of picked up by a guy called Lee Childers, and they kind of went over to New York, even though they could leave lots of ease. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lee Black Childers, and they yeah, seemed to be a bit of a mover and a shaker because he'd worked with people like David Bowie and others like that. Yeah, and obviously had connections and said, "Oh, look, you look good." let's take you to New York. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, we can't play instruments, but it's like, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll sort that out when we get there. And they became the darlings of New York, you know, Andy, you know, hanging out with Andy Warhol and Robert Maplethorpe, which I thought was just a bizarre story. But yeah, yeah. All true. So, um, yeah. so the, 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 the sort of rockabilly and the, and the mods must have been so, how did you get on with each other? What was the vibe? Well, there was um, that, that whole thing, the, um, the mods and the rockers thing was the was the 60s thing wasn't it but um not so much mods but punks T teddy boys kind of uh, arrived again at around the same time as punk and there were fights between punks and teddy boys 
Yes. So um, that all that all started up again. So they they didn't didn't see eye to eye. No. Yes, but then as we, we as we turned the decade, and you know, obviously the the, the country was getting into more of a pickle because of there being the Falkland War. This is when Mood Six starts, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it. I think it was eighty one. I think it, I think it was the early part of eighty one. Um, we we got together. Yeah, yeah. We came together through. Um, there were there were lots of bands playing on the same. South London pub and club circuit, the Mood Six. We were, we were a South London supergroup. You know, we, we formed <laughs> from we, we formed from the ashes of four four bands. Uh, uh, Security Risk. Two of the members came from a band called Security Risk. That's Tony and Andy. Right. Have you heard of them? No. They were vaguely. They were. They were quite punky. They usually played on punk tours. You know. Yeah. Uh, but it was an interesting choice of others thrown in as well. And then there was uh, Guy and Paul. They came from the VIPs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so Simon came from the Merton Parkers. Right. And I was from and I was from the Asset. So those four bands came together to form Mood Six. So it was a South London supergroup that sort of absolutely. My yeah. God. Uh, so I mean, did you, did you start? I mean, did it all come together? As in, you all slightly? You couldn't have all answered it yet. So did someone pull it together? <laughs> someone pull it together did you say yeah did someone yeah yeah it was um it didn't happen i mean the first band i was in it happened organically you know we'd been at school and people we met in but this was kind of we were kind of thrown together a bit we knew each other or knew of each other but we weren't real close friends or anything yeah. and it was really i think it was the vip's connection that, that they were the kind of ones that pulled it all together right. it was, their, it was their, their manager two of their members in fact before we came up with the name Mood Six, two or three kind of warm-up gigs, we were known as the new VIPs. So the VIPs were kind of the main thrust, I think, early on. Yeah. And then someone just remembered the new Seekers and thought, you can't really do that, can you? The new vi- It would be too similar to the new, you know, that. that. Yeah, it was, no, it, it, was, it was never going to stick, but we wanted to start <laughs> doing a few warm-up gigs and we had to go under, we had to have a name, but um, some of the original VIPs fans came along and thought who are these blokes you know I don't like this very much no so I think they I think we lost that audience pretty much straight away <laughs> that's so cruel isn't it yeah so did you I mean because because having done this show for quite a while and these interviews mostly bands have that kind of quite a, a quite a predictable narrative don't they you know they get together you know have that 12 months honeymoon period well kind mm. of and then you know in those days, you know, John Peel would get the single and give it a play and that would give them the John Peel session and then the album and, you know, the tours around the country. How did your, you know, how did your narrative develop? Um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't quite the same as that because um, we, we sort of, we came and went a few times. We kind of split and got back together and lived without each other. So the first, <laughs> the first, uh, first version of the band fairly short-lived I mean that was the band that was when we had our success or almost success it really only lasted about 18 months then we all went our separate ways and did various other bits and pieces um, so by by 82 we, we, we kind of split right and then we went away came back again around about 84 and there, then there was that we had the second go yes that's amazing because the, the material that you record in that early period it's incredibly beautiful, isn't it? I mean, it's, it, it does sound really good. God, I'm going to have to... Nearly four <laughs> minutes later. Yeah, well, well, I'm glad you think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I suddenly get confused with decades now. I think that was 30? No. Mm, mm, so, yes, mm. only 40 years ago, which is... Only 40. Only yeah. 40. Oh, my God, I need to yeah. sit down or stand up and sit down. Um, yeah, so, God, that's that's incredible. So you must have, did you, because at that stage, you know, there was the early period of, of indie pop. I put indie pop down between the years of 83 to 87, which are the years of the Smiths, so it's not a scientific fact. But before, you had that <clears throat> punk period, and then you had the post-punk, you know, world of, you know, magazine, Gang of Four, Pill, the Nightingales, and all those, you know, like the, the fall with Marty Smith. Did you yeah. did you sort of feel that there was any you know you were sort of part of any scene at that stage? You must have been part of the South London scene, I suppose. Yeah, um, the the new psychedelia thing had 
come and gone. That didn't that didn't last very long at all. In fact, I often wonder what happened to all the bands that were you know our contemporaries because it just seemed to it just seemed to fizzle out. You know, just know what happened to them. So yeah. when we got back in the mid eighties, um, yeah, I suppose we were part of that whole indie thing, really. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, things really changed because I know, I remember there was like the early years of sort of Julian Cope and Simple Minds and U two. Yeah. And then, you know, when once that Morrissey Smith's moment happened with Johnny Marr and, and mm. you know, there was something kind of like, okay, you know, the that generation of youngish people are gonna latch onto that. And then what I realized that every, you know, 16 to 18 year old wants their scene, really, isn't it? So that by yeah. the by the sort of, I don't know, 87, 88, you know, people are a bit like, you know, we want our own thing. And that's when, you know, by then. The world of ecstasy comes along and everybody is beginning to sort of you know the next movement really is going to be the the dance world isn't it with you know um that yeah. kind of particular vibe and then that changes again so yeah mm. so did you so what so what was the reason you did several amazing singles which still sound amazing you know fantastic today so why did the band sort of have a bit of a hiccup after just a couple of years um i think Probably because uh, we were signed by, we were signed to EMI um, early on, and then those single that we released um, obviously didn't chart, got to the outer reaches of the chart, or maybe beyond the outer reaches. Is there such a place? Uh, anyway, <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't a hit. Well, back uh, really, wasn't it? Sorry. You said the outer reaches of the charts, and I was thinking, my, my, I just thought of the bargain bin. Really, was the kind of yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of, <laughs> in Woolworths for ten p. Yeah, it kind of, um, I guess I don't know. I guess we were sort of disappointed, and it kind of fizzled out. I can't really remember the the reason we we went our separate ways the first time around, but there was no, there was definitely no no fallout. You know, we were all we were all friends still. Yeah. Um, and then so we thought we'd give it another go because there was definitely um, unfinished business. We had all these songs that we hadn't we hadn't recorded. We had, we'd only put out the two, well, only one single because uh, MI dropped us before the second single came out. Yeah. Uh, was it kind of a tricky period? Because because there's several things at that point. Because I remember there was like a, you know a huge amount of unemployment. The Falkland crisis had happened. Then we had the in the miners' strike, and the country felt quite divided. But then a lot of bands, you know, they were at that age where signing on, claiming job seekers' allowance and enterprise allowance schemes were all sort of things you felt okay about. It wasn't. It didn't feel like you were a failure in life. It just felt like that's what you do if you're sort of that's the, that's the part you've chosen yeah the left of center as we say you know the yeah, swp yeah. tvp barley cup world of you know yeah just feeling like well that's it there's you know it's all a bit rubbish really now we mm. look back it looks quite brilliant but uh, <laughs> <laughs> student grants did you were you sort of having to, were you a student at that stage or were you signing on or how were you sort of making it all work no we were um we were a bit. I think we were a bit different. Actually, we were, we were good boys. You know, <laughs> we, we we had jobs. We had jobs. We weren't. We weren't. Um, we weren't. Well, not not the whole time. But um, yes, we weren't. We were kind of beyond the point of being students. And uh, most of us, most of us had jobs at the same time. So, yeah, because um, I think at that stage on the EMI, I think they even had the farmers boys from from the the depths of Norfolk. So they were obviously. Going... Yeah, I'm not sure if that was. The same time or just after i mean uh, um uh the big band on emi when we were signed was was duran duran of course <laughs> they, yes. they got quite big they were just slightly big because at that stage as well there was that indie world which had that vibe and sound but then you had the trevor horn production sound with you know people like you know that that whole tina turner and um frankie goes to hollywood and abc yeah. and you know yeah. really you know that horribly kind of shrill sound, but then you also had that kind of cool jazz sound from London, like you know Working Week and Shardy, and is it a band called Loose Ends as well? Was was that any? You know, what, what did they ever come into your? And the and the what were they called? The Blitz Kids, who were all hanging out with Boy George and Marilyn. Did you ever? Sort of yeah, I mean that, that was world? that kind of that was was around the same time as the first first uh, Mood Six, if you like. Um, Lips Kids and, and Boy George and all the rest of it. That was kind of a similar time. 
um, to when we were first together. Um, but the, yeah, the the uh, that kind of slick production sound. I think it crept into it crept into most bands' sounds. I guess I think we we, we did become a bit more aware of production values and uh, and and slick production and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. Although most of our stuff wasn't it wasn't particularly wasn't overproduced. <laughs> if anything, it was underproduced. Really. Yeah, you can't. I mean, when you listen to bands like Talk Talk and um, this is sort of I don't know. It sounds a bit kind of like blimey. That's a bit eighties, isn't it? Yeah, song. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I loved their Talk Talk from Color of Spring onwards. That's like a different band. That's that's superb. But the early stuff is really a bit too, um, as you say, clinical and um, highly produced. What was your experience in the studio like? You know, with finding the sound and getting a producer and an engineer to complement what you were doing or were you because you had two members of the VIPs a bit more kind of studio savvy mm. um so early on we were far from studio savvy because um <laughs> the first single for example it wasn't representative of our of our sound at all we were in naive really and uh, the, the producer just kind of I think he produced the kind of record that he wanted to listen to rather than what we had in mind, but we weren't experienced enough really to, uh, you know, to influence that. Later on, uh, later on, we had more of a say. Then when we got around to doing the first album, it was fairly kind of low budget. So I think um, songs were great, but I think the production could have been definitely stronger. Yes. So was Plastic Flowers Mm. Was that chapter two of the band? Um, that was there. <clears throat> it was there all the way through. I mean, it's a song that, that Tony wrote even before Mood Six started. Um, and we demoed it early on uh, at, at, at EMI, I think. Yeah. And uh, finally, it finally made it onto. Yeah. Then we recorded it for Psycho Records as a single. And then we, then it, then it was on the album as well. So Plastic Flowers was, was there all the way through. And we, yeah, one of our, or one of our more popular songs, yeah. Well, it is, and I, I you know, I have to say, it's still that's the one that sort of, I suppose, it still sounds kind of, you know, kind of timeless. As if anything can sound slightly timeless, you know. It's, yeah, I don't know if we ever really made the definitive version. I mean, one of the some some of the early demos are almost stronger than some of the finished released. Product, but um, yeah, yes. And then you're on a B side. You did you did that famous Tony Tony Basil song, Mickey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're sort of jumping from era to era a little bit, but yeah. But uh, Mickey, uh, Mickey was eighty two, I think, and the B side was hanging. She did her version of Hanging Around. Yeah. So that was a number. I think it got to about number two. I think so. Yeah, yeah. That was. Um, was quite notable yeah <laughs> yes that's right so when you came back in you know for the second chapter did that feel quite a different vibe with the band it did it did because it was because the lineup was slightly different um and the vibe was a bit well we were looking after ourselves by then in the in the early days we were quite there was a bit of a team around us if you like we had management and all the rest of it but the second time around we were looking out for ourselves and um made all our own decisions and probably probably got on better, stronger as a unit, I think. Yes, yes, because that must have been quite something having, you know, Tony Basil covering your, your single. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it was on a, on a B-side and not everyone plays the B-side, but that was, it was quite something. Yeah, it was on her album as well. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. You didn't cover Mickey. Sorry, I, admit, I, said, yeah, I said something that wasn't quite She right. covered... She covered hanging around, yeah. You didn't cover Mickey. Really <laughs> so did that? Did that sort of? Who was the songwriter at that time? Um, in the early days, it was split between Pony and Guy. Guy that was in the VIPs. Yeah. Very, very different in style. The two songwriters. Um, so probably, probably about a third Guy and two thirds Tony, and then um, it's been Tony all the way through. Really, I mean, uh, sort of laterally. I chipped in with the one or two songs, but Tony was always the main writer, yeah. Yeah. So just how did she manage to track down that song and, and decide to record it on, as the B-side to her, her global smash hit? <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know. That's a question for Tony. Um, 
I'm not quite sure how it came about. And uh, the sad story is he should have made a lot more money. He made a bit of money from that, but not as much as he should have. Uh, yes, I was going to say it would have been one that, of the... Which, which happens, as you know, happens a lot. <laughs> I would imagine, yes, if he had signed the right bit of paper, he would probably... He could have had a different different life completely. Going Absolutely, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. He should have earned a lot more than he did. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes. So then, because because obviously at that stage, are you still based in South London at that point? I mean, did, were you becoming aware of people like you know the you know t- television personalities and Dan Tracy, or was that a scene that wasn't part of your world at all? No, I mean, that, again, that's really. I know, I know, Dan was was still around mid 80s but our first connection with him was again we're going back to the early 80s again that's when I first met Dan um so he was yeah he was definitely part of the scene in fact he was he was kind of a forerunner really but we were totally different as bands yes um but yeah he was a very important part of that of that scene and I got you... to know him much as you as much as you as much as you can with Dan he's quite an unusual character but um yeah I, I got to know him and got on got on well with him yeah, I know there was quite a few bands who sort of signed to his uh, label, Wah. No, Wham. Wham, Wham. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, they, I think it was 1,000 violins, and they came all the way. They used to stay at his place. They, they, they came from Sheffield and would sort of stay at Dan's place and, you know, record and re- rehearse down in London. So, um, yeah, they, um, they, were, they, were on the, they were on the same bill as us once or twice. Yeah. And yeah, were, and uh, in fact, when you... Uh, when we set this up, I listened to a couple of your podcasts. One of them was One Thousand Violins, and uh, I was, I was, it was great. It was very funny, and because um, we knew them a little bit, but it took me by surprise. You know, it was very interesting, very interesting, and very funny. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Colin's Colin's quite a, quite an amazing story, really, isn't it? Yes, yeah, I, th- yeah, I yeah. think it was very much of its time. You know, that being in a band, you know, for some people, they could almost do it as a a full-time occupation you know not making any money but sort of scrounging yeah. the edges to make it happen. that's what i got from the interview some some of some of these bands were like totally immersed in it they were doing it all day long every day they, you know because they were on the dole and they could just give all their time to it and uh, if you can why not you know yeah well i realized also at that point there were the these great you know it was the gatekeepers i mean which is both good and bad in in a way but you did you know, there was the music papers, weren't there, you know, which were sort of very influential. So if you got in them, and they were weeklies as well. I mean, people in America are always like, God, you had weekly papers. Of course they were going to cover bands like Stump and Bog, Bog Shed and Big yeah. Flame, as well as all the anything, because, you know, you had to fill the pages and you had three of them with a circulation of some yeah, of the we, were, we, were, we were quite lucky in that respect. And we were, we had a lot, a lot of music press. Yeah. But I think um, with those three big papers, I think you were kind of, kind of adopted by one so yeah it was sounds that liked us which oh, which yeah. meant which meant that which meant that enemy didn't if you like yes absolutely you know <laughs> yeah so sounds we were we were the we were the kind of the darlings of sounds for a while yeah. right and then yeah. and then and then you had that and then you had like the john peel show which you probably well we didn't actually we didn't do john peel you didn't do john peel did you no no we were that we were the band that didn't i know well there's a lot there's quite a few there was the, the guy lawrence and felt and um, Daniela Dax and people like that didn't get the, you know, so I think they, there's a slight element of kind of like, mm, but no, they, yeah. they, they, they don't have such fond memories of John Peel as- have, have, you interviewed, have you interviewed Lawrence? Yes. Oh, you have, I bet that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you could imagine, couldn't you? Yes, it was a, yeah, yeah. a yeah. very interesting one. Yeah, and various members who were in, uh, is it Shock Head? Shockley Peters. Peters. Yes. Yeah, I remember that name. Yeah. Them, yeah. A few of them, their members as well. So, yes, it's quite interesting. But some, you know, some people didn't quite get the, the blessing. Mm. Well, I mean, it's a bit unfair on John Peel because, I mean, he just did his show and he can play everything that came out. But Yeah, um, yeah. Obviously. In fact, perhaps we did. Well, I don't think we bombarded him with tapes and things like a lot of people did. So perhaps it was our fault, you know. Yeah. But also. More of an effort. Being in the UK, I mean, it's such a small place, and every city and town would have a club night, indie night, alternative night, and all those kind of cliches. But you, you know, it, it meant that most people could kind of travel around and play quite a few gigs around the country. I mean, you obviously got London. Did you, did you find mm. yourself coming to the backwaters of some of those other venues? No, in fact, 
that's probably one of the reasons, um, probably many reasons, but that's one of the reasons we probably didn't get a hit because we were only playing London really and a fairly elitist gigs. We played at quite unusual venues and things, but we didn't tour the country. So we didn't build up a following. Right. Um, we did have a fan club and we did get letters coming from all around the country, but they're like, they're just, they're just sort of ones and twos. Uh, but if we, we, we should have, we probably in high, you know, hindsight, we probably should have toured around the country a lot more and built up a following. Did you enjoy playing live? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I always have, yeah. Yes. Oh, um, yeah. If only... I, like, I mean, I like, I like going in the studio. I love recording, but live is where it... Live is, is my thing, yeah. Yes. So after you did your... Was it Psycho Label? Then you signed to Cherry Red. That's right, yeah, yeah. In yeah. 86. You got around a bit, yeah. You did get around a bit. Because <laughs> <laughs> Cherry Red's often the label that people sell their back catalogue to 20 years later. Or they, you yeah, know, yeah. So had, yeah, so did you... Um, so you were still a, a going concern at this stage? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that was, yeah, that was after Psycho. Psycho was kind of mid-84, 85, and uh, Cherry Red was around about, well, just after, really, 86, 87. Um, that's right. The second album came out on Cherry Red, yeah, and, and one or two singles, and they were they were nice people to deal with. Yeah, yeah. and then so as as we truck towards the the late eighties, obviously things start to. Mm. Is mm. this when you start to sort of bump into other people from the? Is it the ambulance station? Um, actually, no. Uh, sorry to disappoint you there, but we weren't really we weren't really part of that scene. I don't think no. The squatty, no. the squatty lead, uh, the squatty London scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't really, <laughs> we didn't really take that route. No, but I know, I know, I know of it, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, um, <laughs> is that um, when you met Sandy? No, no, no. Sandy um, knew Sandy right from the very start. Of uh, she had been the girlfriend of our original keyboard player. When I met her, they weren't really together anymore but she uh, she became we had we had go-go dancers believe it or not in the early days of mood six she was one of our go-go dancers Fantastic. so i knew her from 81 yeah. nice did you have a particular yeah. image as well with, with these did you did you have a fashion consultant yeah um <laughs> yeah our fashion consultant was probably again paul our uh, our keyboard player he was a he was the style guru if you like yeah nice um, yeah, he, he was a very, he was a very, he was a stylish guy. And uh, I guess we all had our jobs to do within the band and his was to make sure we looked right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we, we did look, um, yeah, we did. That was a big part of it. We had a, you know, the whole, the whole, the whole dressing up thing. Yeah, there were, there were clothes shops at the time that were dedicated to the sort of gear that we wore. We used to go around Kensington Market and Portobello Road. And, right. And pick up stuff. Yeah, or theatrical shops and go and buy up. I bought various jackets that became my go-to jackets, you know. Nice. I had a quite a fetching pink number with lace sleeves and things. Yeah. Oh my God. Did you ever see yeah, that yeah. film? There, there was a shop which must have been quite famous in London. Um, John, is it John Simons? There was a sort of a, a film about this particular person who had a boutique in London. It all sounded very modish and there was people like Paul Weller talking about how wonderful it was. Yeah, and, yeah. And there was... Um, a shop called the regal which um started up at the same time and they were making really really authentic looking 60s clothes but they were brand new right and uh, there's also um it john simon you said there was a there was a there was a guy called uh colin wild that used to have a shop uh, around carnaby street he was quite a character he insisted that he invented the flare <laughs> invented flare <laughs> maybe maybe he did but it was a, yeah, that was quite a funny story. That's kind yeah. of amazing. like saying you invented the, you know, semicolon. The full it's a bit like saying you invented the semicolon. Or, yeah, I, yeah. But, but like somebody you know, must have invented the flared trout. Maybe it was Colin Wilde, you know. I don't know. Could one person have that claim to fame? God, that would be yeah, yeah. wonder. Yeah. It's not a well-known fact, though, is it? No, you're not, you're not going to get You didn't know, did you? I mean, you didn't know. No, I didn't know he, he invented the flare. Actually. I don't know. This interview has been worthwhile for both. It has been. He has a learning yeah. curve. I hope, I hope I've got his name right. <laughs> I know. I get lots of letters with that. So then, yeah. you know, was, were you, you know, because at that day I mentioned earlier, you know, you know that that world that 
after the Smiths, you know, they split up, ecstasy mm. comes along, suddenly the, the next generation wants their soundtrack, which is going to be not everyone, obviously, because there was more than one little group, but there was obviously a bit of a wave towards people like the Happy Mondays and Primal Scream, Stone Roses. And then you had the London shoegazing scene with My Bloody Valentine and the Fate yeah. Dealers and Silverfish. And then we had the Seattle scene that came in and just wiped everything out as well yeah. as, you know, I mean, obviously it doesn't completely, but you know, these the scenes. So how did you navigate that period between the late eighties and then into the nineties? Well, um, as I say, there were, there were two or three different versions of Mood 6. And um, I actually, I wasn't in the band. After 87, I wasn't in the band. Um, they carried on, made a third album with a different singer. Um, so I was gone by then. And, and really, it didn't have much involvement, to be honest, in, in uh, music in the 90s, really. Um, I was kind of gone for, for a while there. Had so, you got fed up with it? Um, I didn't really get fed up with it. And I never ever said, that's it, I'm not doing this anymore. But um, just, just didn't have that much involvement. Uh, yeah, so I did, I was always, I was doing gigs, you know, sporadically, but I wasn't really in a fully immersed in a band or anything. Yeah. Yeah. And even this, even the version of Mood 6 without me only carried on, I think, until the early 90s. <clears throat> so. Yeah, so I haven't got you know the, many stories to tell you from the nineties. No, absolutely. Mm. Just, just mm. did it feel a bit strange? Because I remember interviewing a few members of um, of a band called Chumbawamba, and they kind of um, they don't knock down. They, yes, that's the ones. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they did. They were going nowhere fast for a long time. Then they had that big single, which was just like gave the band another wave. But then they went down again, and they got to that point where I think half the band decided to leave, and the other half continued and mm. um, it was kind of the people who continued were the mo mostly the creative you know the people who were doing the kind of writing and the music and and that you know it just felt like actually they needed to do something and so the, the, the half the band who did who were just kind of not so much into that that side even though they might have wanted to kind of did the I suppose the honorable thing to say look you continue and we'll go but one of the members who I interviewed said he did find it a bit strange and he did feel like my God, if they have another massive hit and I'm not part of it, I'm going to be a little bit annoyed. But they didn't. Yeah. So he could feel like, oh, that's a shame. It just fizzled out and you all finished, which is always easier. So did you did you feel a bit strange when the band continued without you? I didn't really. No, I didn't. Um, you know, I'm not. They weren't likely to have a hit, I don't think. I mean, that time had kind of that come back. <laughs> yeah. But that time had long gone, really. Um, so no, I was kind of, I was kind of fine, kind of fine with it, and um, we all remain friends. I mean, we've, we've been in and out of touch over the years, I suppose. But no, it was, it was I was absolutely fine with it, and uh, and that album as well was kind of a lot of it wasn't really in keeping with the sound we had before. I mean, Tony's roots are Irish, and some of the songs were almost traditional Irish sounding. It was quite a mixed, quite a mixed bag. So some of the songs I couldn't imagine uh, singing really. Yes. So no, it was, it was all, it was all fine. Yeah. It was all fine. And then what do you, you know, after the, that kind of, I know you had a day job most of the time, but did you, mm -hmm. how did you sort of then navigate sort of your, the rest of your kind of life with kind of doing your career, family probably, and then occasionally doing creative things as well? Yeah, well, I, I, um, Funnily enough, I did reform the band I was in before Mood Six, uh, which was just a just a just a covers band, but it kept me kept my hand in, you know, kept me doing gigs and things. So that was good. And then uh, Mood Six got back together yet again to do a reunion gig many, many, many years after you know our last gig. And they were really they were a lot of fun. They were really good and well attended and great. It was really really worthwhile. Yes, it's quite it's quite nice, isn't it? I mean, it's a funny number, really, the, the, the bands reform. And I think it's, it's just for sort of a bit of fun. It can kind of work quite well, actually. You know. It's, yeah, um, yeah. We didn't we didn't really reform it. Was just, it was but actually it was just it was going to be just a one off, just a one off gig. But um, I think we all enjoyed it, and it went better than we all expected. So we did a couple more, and yes. we might do more in future um, if the virus ever stops. Um, Stops, well, it's interesting because I did an interview with, around the same time, I suppose, your Mark One period, 
sounds a bit like Spinal Tap, doesn't it, of uh, the Joe Boxers. And I think they they had that kind of short period in the early 80s, had a bit of a hit single too. Yeah. And then, you know, have had a one or two yeah, reunions just for a bit of fun, really. And um, yeah. the singers in America, so I think they, they, you know, that sort of slightly... Was he actually, was he American? Dig, or... yeah, he was American. He came Yeah, around. I thought so, yeah. So, um, yeah. and they're planning, you know, a date this coming autumn, but he's thinking, hmm. I think they had one last year, but that got pulled. So, so you know, it's interesting that quite a few people think, well, you know, could come over. The interest is still there and you can do kind of, you know, they can probably do a, a medium-sized venue and, and fill it out. And, uh, you know, people still want, the Joe Boxers fans are still out there, I'm sure. <laughs> they are, absolutely. And also, you know, with Mood 6, I guess, you know, you must have also seen people come that you thought, Blimey, yes, they remember us. Because there was, yeah, there's been so. a lot of bands, you know, I suppose with these record labels like Cherry Red and um, Clyde Bree and Fire Station Records, and then you've got Optic Nerve, you know, they've kind of helped generate this kind of interest again by reissuing stuff or finding sort of stuff from the archives like the direct hits and, and thinking, actually, that's quite nice. And it's nicely packaged with sleeve notes and vinyl and all that kind of stuff so people are quite keen to see the band again aren't they yeah yeah absolutely yeah and um i don't think i don't think there's much to latch onto at the moment so why not why not look back at some <laughs> of the old stuff <laughs> I know, yeah, we're, all just, nothing... we're, we're all just communi communicating on zoom really aren't we it's not going to be yeah it's not yeah, like yeah. You think, oh no, yeah. I'm too busy you know it's like well actually i'm not that busy at all we're, we're all sort of slightly <laughs> stuck at home there's no point yeah. planning anything this year. So does that mean the band, I mean, you've obviously done, you know, had three issues and got all your material out. So is there any plans of any other kind of creative endeavors with the, with the you know, the band? With, with Mood 6? Yeah, so is that pretty much done now? Um, no, I don't, there's not really, no plans at all, I don't think, to, sorry to disappoint, but <laughs> no plans at all, I don't think, to write new material or record, but I think there is a possibility of more of more gigs in the future, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, um, but it's, it's a slight difficulty there because we're not all uh, tucked away in South London now. Um, um, Tony lives in Ireland, and uh, at the later gigs, we actually did. Um, Andy, Andy's son Jake, played with us. And, right. Uh, yeah, which is quite amazing. And uh, but I don't know whether he was a student at the time. I think he's got a day job now, so he probably won't be available. Yes. Um, so it's difficult to say. At this stage, what the lineup will be, um, yeah. So, I think I think we will play. I think we will play again. So, um, but it just depends um, on who's available. Yes, and when we can, when the venues open again. I mean, if, yeah. you, if you could have said something to a sixteen or eighteen-year-old self-starter, I mean, is there any any sort of words of wisdom that you would say that you've kind of picked up over the over the years and decades of being in the band, releasing material? you know, just yeah, having, I think, having life. I don't know, I think, um, I think I'm not bitter and twisted that we didn't make it or anything like that. I'm really quite totally comfortable with it. And I think to be well known in this day and age, it's probably like a living hell, you know, so much scrutiny. <laughs> but um, I think, I think, we, I think band and myself as well, I think we could have pushed ourselves a bit harder. We could have really given it a push because I think we, I, I really believe that we were, enough um so i think just give it just give it a bit more just just make that little bit more effort to really push it because even though it didn't work out the mark one thing didn't work out we had made a name for ourselves so we could have pushed it that bit harder i think yes well it must be um, quite nice to to know that the legacy of the band is still going 40 years later yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah. it's 20 and uh, so that would have been good and one or two one or two um so I wasn't 18, but one of the one or two of the decisions we made in the Mark One band as well probably uh, would have done differently as well. Yes. Yeah. I know it's tricky, isn't it? Really. Yeah. yeah. I, did you ever have a manager in the band at all, or was it kind of? We did. We did early. We did early days. I uh, I spoke to uh, I spoke to Andy, who uh, played bass with Mood Six before interviewing you, and he said I mentioned him. <laughs> because, uh, so yeah, we did have a manager early on, but uh, the relationship wasn't didn't end up too well, and uh, 
So we did. So we were quite well. We were quite looked after in the early days. Had a manager and uh, people around us, roadies and all the rest of it. Quite cosseted, you know. Yeah. And later on, we, we didn't have any of that. Was that easy or better? Um, well, for me, the early, the early, like the early days of the band, I couldn't quite believe it. I'd just been playing local pubs, and I was suddenly in this band where I didn't have to carry my own tambourine anymore. It was, it was all, but, you know, everything was set up for us. It was, uh, it was great. Really, we had a bit of sort of good team around us. Yeah. Um, but then I think second time around, doing it all ourselves was probably preferable, really. And we weren't being ripped off by anybody. No. Did you manage to then with the EMI with your first two singles? Mm. Did you get to to go into a really nice studio with a producer? Oh yeah, yeah, we did. We did. I don't think. I mean, didn't push us particularly, but they did throw some money at us. We, the first single, hanging around, we recorded at um, Townhouse, which is a really good studio in uh, Shepherd's Bush, uh, and the second single we recorded at Abbey Road. So we were, you know in the same studio as the, the aforementioned Beatles. Blimey, you must So that was pretty amazing. And even the B-side, actually, the B-side of Hanging Around, which was an instrumental, they sent us away to a studio in uh, in Battle, in Sussex. I think it was called Parkgate. It was a residential studio. We stayed there for a, probably a night or two, just recording one instrumental track. So they, you know, they, they, they threw a few, they threw a bit of money at us. God, it's uh, funny. Yes, because I did right an, it was a guy, I just did an interview with a guy from Micro Disney, and he was just saying that now, you know, still, you know, trying to make music, the one thing he doesn't waste is any studio time, but he said when you're younger, and you just kind of go into the studio, you could spend days just baffing about, Whereas yeah, yeah. You're a bit older, you know, it's a bit like, it's your own money, perhaps, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, so yeah, we did, yeah, we did, we, Recorded in some really nice, some really nice studios early on. Yeah, nice. Yeah. God, well, you know, it's amazing. It's brilliant. Did you? I mean, just last thing. Did you ever make videos at all, or did you? Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, only, only two spring to mind. We made a there's a film called The Groovy Movie, which you may or may not have heard about. Oh my God! I need to make a note, don't I? The Groovy Movie. Yeah, yeah. Check out the Groovy Movie. It's on YouTube. <laughs> that was a, that was a that was a film of that early that, that new psychedelia that that whole scene, but it predominantly featured us. Yeah, um, so that's worth uh, checking out. Did you kind um, of when you did you smile and slightly chuckle when you saw the first Austin Powers film? Then did you feel that <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> more than smile? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That was. <laughs> was that... <laughs> Yeah, that was that was that was our that was our scene. Yeah, that was our scene, man. Yeah, I mean there were clubs as well. I mean we, we were doing the gigs, but we, we there were there were there were clubs around at the time that were they were so authentic. They were like walking into a sixties club. You know, if you sort of half closed your eyes, you were in the sixties. And there were kids like younger than us that they just knew all the sixties dance moves. I don't know how they how they knew them. It was so authentic. It was amazing. Yeah. But going back to your videos question. Yeah, we did make a couple I can think of. We made one for hanging around. Um, and that's that's on, that's that's on, on YouTube as well. That, that's uh, that's a good fun kind of video. Very uh, very very sixties looking. Yeah. Annabelle, you know Annabelle Giles. Annabelle Giles was um was in that video. You know the name? No. She was married to Midgeur at one time. And then she went into. TV presenting and what have you. She was she was the she was the love interest in that in that one. Mm. And uh, we did a video for I saw the light as well, the cherry red single, the Todd Rundgren song. Blimey, good old Todd. He's still good. Yeah, yeah. Good old Todd, yeah. yeah. One man Todd. Yes. Mm. Well, I, I, I just uh, it was interesting. I just hear listened to an interview he did the other day. He's going to be doing a tour, which was quite weird, but because he's actually going to tour. To empty venues, but he's going to try and make it sort of. Oh, thin, I think thin. I read about that as well. So he's actually going to go to the city, do the sound check, go to the hotel, try and make it as authentic to whatever city it is he's touring, and uh, play the set, and then go and do a tour. You know, then go to another city and do yeah. the same thing. It's like okay. Yeah, I think I did read about that. Yes, yeah. he's keeping it real, even though he's probably quite ill, you know, getting old. Mm. But that's cool. Anyway, look, this has been, well, Phil, thank you ever so much for this. It's been magic, actually. It's good. I hope you, I hope you got enough. I hope you got enough. Uh, oh, my God, loads. 
We've got what you wanted. We've got it's quality chat. It's good. No, it's great, and I'm so pleased to get it because, like I said, I mean, um, your camera's gone off, but that doesn't matter. You can still. See oh yeah, me. but you can still, you know, you are featured in C86 and all that. The creation of indie in difficult times, so you you have got a good mention. Do you hate yeah. Barney? Do you hate Barney Hop Hops? Barney Hop Hoskins? Did we hate him? He's a writer. Hate we hate him. Did you hate him? Is that what you said? Yeah, because he he, was, um, he wasn't impressed with you, was he? Oh, I think he was the one that did the. Like I said to you, you were either you you were either sounds like us enemy, didn't he? Gave us that awful review, awful review of a gig that was a, that was a great gig. I think it was a London Dungeons, wasn't it? Not that it hit hard or anything. I I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do remember that awful. And even the, even the, even the photo was. It was somebody from the audience looking as though he was laughing at us, something like that. It was really, it's a nasty review, yeah. Uh, yeah, I yeah, yeah I guess I do hate him, yeah. I don't blame <laughs> you, yeah. You should write to him. Um, yeah, anyway, he'll apologise. I think he's full of words yeah, now. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but look, thank you ever so much, Phil. And um, yes, I'll send you the link when I put it together. And, and voila, you can, you can share it with your social media platform sites. Yeah, so I think we said I could hear the perhaps the unedited, unedited version and then later on the edited version. Yes, that, let's do that. that. I, can, I can just we transfer it over if you want and then you can, yeah. you can have a listen and go. Yeah, yeah. Because to, to be honest, I, I can't, you know, when I hear my voice, I just think, oh, my God. So well, I, think, I think we all do our own. Our, our own voices are, are, are quite spooky, aren't they, really? Yeah, 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 I know what you mean, yeah. It was great. I, I'm glad um, a couple of people said to me, oh, are you going to find out the questions that David's going to ask? I said, I said, no, I think it's better if it's spontaneous. You don't want, you don't want a prepared answer and all the rest of it. And I, I, did, I did some revision, you know, I did swat up, but <laughs> and we didn't cover everything that I thought we might. But, but, oh, my God. No, it's not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not complaining that. At all, that's been good fun. Been good no, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that well, that's fantastic. Well, thank you for your time. I really appreciate that, and um, I'll keep in touch. But I'm really pleased you managed to get in touch with Sandy, which is fantastic. That was really nice. Yeah, because we yeah because we lost touch for so long. Yeah, and, uh, we're now in touch. We keep sending each other long messages. Yeah. No, oh, that's great. You know, and it's great. Yeah, she's met I... the guy from. You know, she's married to the guy from that band, The Steps. The Steps. Yeah, I knew it was some S band. The Steps. S T E double -P, P E S. How do you spell it? S S T E P E E S. Oh right, okay. But you... I've had a listen since I found that out, and they sound they sound pretty good. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know how she managed to find herself in Las Vegas, but I thought it was quite no. impressive. And uh, yeah, and we were going to go to Vegas recently, you know, last year, and it got cancelled. Yeah. But I'd, I'd got all set to say, look, let's meet up and. Uh, yeah, yeah. On Fremont Street and have a chat. Because I never, you know, um, it would have just been really nice, but yeah, it just wasn't going to happen. So, um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I've got that, um, I've told you on the phone call that I've got the Suffolk uh, connection. So, I mean, you know, right. I mean, if I'm in your neck of the woods. You know, yes, give us a shout. Yeah. That'd be great. I'd like that. I'd like that. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. A, it's a good one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely. It's good. But it's nice, you know, I mean, Sandy, because I don't know if, you if you're you on Instagram or follow her and Gordon on Instagram, but they do occasionally put the odd photograph of themselves up there from their, their sort of ambulance station days. Yeah, she, she mentioned that to me. She said to me, why don't, why don't you do this interview with David? She, she said that, um, you know, you're probably a bigger name than some of the people that he interviews. And, but she said, but you're... She said, your Instagram, uh, you, you could be more active on Instagram. We're not even on Instagram. I suppose we're not, don't really promote ourselves anymore, but it would, might be quite nice to get some photos out there and stuff. Oh, people love that. And soak up the interest a bit. Yeah, no, they would. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, we're, what else are we going to do for the next? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Create that, create that new fan base. Yeah. Yes, I know, I know. Well, I did notice that, well, that, that suddenly, uh, like, oh, yes, everyone must be going in their attic and finding memorabilia because there was posters, you know, old posters from 30 or 40 years ago appearing on Facebook and Instagram. And it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone's been a bit bored, haven't they? So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, didn't, I didn't say during the interview, but we did have two, two sounds front covers. Oh, blimey, they did love you. Um, yeah, I was on on the cover, just me, and then 
second time round, it was the whole band. Yeah, so yeah, so they they, they did. We were in that in that paper a hell of a lot. My yeah. God, you must go and put get yourself on Instagram and put them up there. I hope you kept copies. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember when it came out. I went down to. Uh, I heard that it came out slightly earlier um, near uh, Ballam Station in South London. I heard that there's a there's a there's a paper store when they the uh, copies come out a bit earlier. So I went down there and I bought about a dozen copies. And the bloke didn't bat an eyelid. He didn't say didn't think, oh, that's you, isn't it? <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I, yeah, I definitely bought plenty of copies of that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice moments, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's brilliant. Well, look, thank you, Phil. This is great. Thank I'll, you. I'll, I'll let you go. But yeah, take care, and um, we'll meet. Our go- we'll meet someday in in sunny Suffolk. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, and I, I just th- just thought I should ask also, how, how quickly do you kind of turn it around? When do you think you'll you'll um, edit and put the show out? Soon. I could be. Yes, I I try and be it's quite soon because otherwise things things kind of drop down a bit, and you think, oh God. I'm, yeah. I'm. I'm got is it a week a weekly show. Yes, so um, I'll try and get it up in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yes, it's all good. But look, okay. thank you again. It's, it's good. Yeah, thanks. I'm sorry you, sorry you can't see me anymore, but uh, I can see you. That's like, yes. <laughs> anyway, look, take care. And I'll Cheers, David. See you later. Thanks a lot. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Indeed, that's how you say goodbye. Now, that is the end of the interview. You probably guessed that. Um, a massive thank you to Phil Ward, forgive me the time for that, for Mood 6. This is David Eastall, C86 Show. Hopefully I haven't said that already, otherwise I'm really losing my mind. But if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, that's C86 Show. Also, these have all been archived. You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, just do C86, and that's it, or C86 Show. Have a great week, stay safe, and all that.